1: For a college or university to succeed, they need funding. But for decades, Tennessee State University did not receive all of the state funding it was entitled to. By law, as one of Tennessee's two land-grant universities, a state committee found that this funding amounted to around $544 million over a span of 50 years. Since then, the state has paid off. Half that amount. So how will TSU use this money? And why did it happen in the first place? Later this hour, we'll talk with folks from TSU and public officials to get some answers. But first, it's time for at us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at thisisnashville and on Instagram at Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at our past week is our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope. Hey, Andrea.
0: Hey, Khalil.
1: It's great to see you in the guest chair.
0: It's like I live here, you know?
1: We've got pillows and blankets all (laughs) ready for you. (laughs) Okay, so let's get into it. What episodes have gotten folks talking in the past week?
0: So we had a really stellar episode about black maternal health this past Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that black women are two to four times more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications than their white counterparts.
1: It is a big problem in the country, also here in Tennessee.
0: Yeah. So we got an email at at org from pa- uh, Patra Jones, who says, quote, Thank you for this coverage yesterday on this extremely important crisis. We need to continue talking about this and advocating for For African American women. She also adds that the photo we used for that day's episode post of a black mother was inspiration for a quilt she created last year, which is now hanging at the National Quilt Museum in Kentucky. Ooh,
1: that is a cool connection. We've got a lot of love for that episode. Listen back if you all missed it. So what else we have, Andrea?
0: So should I talk about our award?
1: Obviously.
0: Obviously. So we got a Champion of Curiosity Award this week from Harkin, which is basically a company that provides digital tools for newsrooms across the country to use to be more engaged with their audience. So when you hear us say, we want to hear from you, Harken is actually the tool we use to collect your feedback quickly and easily.
1: Right, so every time we do a Citizen Nashville episode, like on mental health services or abortion access, we put a post on thisisnashville.org where you can fill out a form with your questions and comments.
0: Yes, and it's actually for that series that we won the award. For Mm. every Citizen Nashville episode, we take a topic like birth control, uh, for example, we solicit questions from the community and then for the episode itself, we start with a panel of people with lived experience on the topic and then invite officials to answer community questions.
1: Plus, after the show, we publish a web post packed with resources for the community. It yeah. helps.
0: Yeah. Well, we're really honored to get this award, but most of all, we are honored that you all make it what well, make that possible. And that we get to provide you with resources to help make it easier to live in our city and get what you need.
1: See, you all are the reason why we have this show. And you make this show possible by giving us your feedback and, you know, commenting on Harkins and things. It's wonderful. Okay. Did any other shows cause a stir?
0: Well, last week we rounded out the week with a divorce show Mm -hmm. followed promptly by a dating show.
1: Shot. Chaser.
0: Exactly. <laughs> we heard from a few listeners who had personal stories to share about divorce, like our regular listener, Harmony Dengi, who says her parents divorced and that it hurts, but you can still heal from it. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the dating show, we got a DM on Twitter from our listener Elle, she asks, how has the pandemic affected dating, given the politics around masking, COVID safety, given the disabled and immunocompromised folks who need love too?
1: Yes, we all need love, everyone.
0: True. Okay. Well, <laughs> our our guest, uh, Vanderbilt student Abigail Trezinski, actually did a study on this, and her report found that online dating has actually gotten a lot better since the pandemic, um apps started offering video chats and hosting online events also apps like tinder and hinge partnered with the government to add badges to profiles indicate indicating if a user has been vaccinated um, Abigail writes in her report that these apps are forever changed, and I could definitely see that uh, benefiting disabled and immunocompromised folks in our community.
1: Nice. And we got an email from a listener about that episode, too, right?
0: We did, which is evidence that y'all can communicate with us in all of the ways. ka Yes. <laughs> So this listener pushed back on something our guest Miller said about diversity in the dating scene. Hmm. He was comparing Nashville to his hometown of Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, and the the feedback that we got um, from the email that we got, uh, the, this listener wrote, as a social scientist, it seems that it might be helpful to seek information checks, in this case, about the diversity of Springfield, Mass., versus Nashville. Both the diversity ratings are in the 80s, so I find it curious that the two places were described differently and almost as opposites mm. end quote. So Miller was talking about his experience with dating anecdotally. He felt that Springfield was more of a melting pot and he observed more interracial dating there. Uh So quick fact check, I looked up census data and this is from 2020. So obviously, you know, some things shift, but basically white non-Hispanic people make up about 72% of the population in Nashville, Davidson County, which is a lot. Um, While white non-Hispanic folks make up just 30 percent of the population in Springfield, that city has an overall Latino population of about 42 percent and black or African-American people make up about 21 percent. TLDR on the whole, Springfield is more diverse than Nashville, but in any case, I do think it's important to remember that so much of this depends on how these populations are distributed throughout a a city or region.
1: And needless to say, there's more ground we could cover about the dating experience here in Nashville. I mean... I'm down to go on another shotgun ride for a dating show. I'll say that.
0: Yes. Well, you know, I'm still trying to get you to go on an actual date for one of those recorded Friday shotgun rides.
1: This is my boss, everyone. (laughs) Yes. Scheming
0: and dreaming. You know me. (laughs)
1: Indeed. I'm down for the date. Oh, man. I can just see my social media blowing up. Thanks to our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope, for this roundup. Andrea, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram, and let's keep the comments coming. As you heard, you fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It is super easy and quick and helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn how Tennessee State University plans to use the overdue funding they've recently received from the state. Are you a TSU alum? How do you think the money should be used? Tweet us at ThisIsNashville. We'll be right back. Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. For over 50 years, Tennessee State University, Tennessee's only public HBCU, was getting shortchanged by the state. We're not talking pocket change either. The amount, $544 million. As with any university, TSU needs to provide a quality education for its students that takes money. Money for faculty, staff, facilities, infrastructure, and all the things that go into making an institution of higher education succeed. Recently, the state paid TSU $250 million to help address this oversight, and the school is ready to put those funds to use. How will they use the money? What are the immediate needs? Who better to answer those questions than people from TSU? With that, I'd like to introduce my guests. Frank Stevenson is the Associate Vice President of Student Affairs and Dean of Students. Dr. Andrea Ringer is the is, is an assistant professor of history, and Antonio Renfro is a freshman studying economics and finance. Thanks to you all for being here today and welcome to this is Nashville. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Okay, so let's let's start with the student perspective. Antonio, how did you react to the news that the state was
2: paying some of this money it owed to TSU? Well, I was highly ecstatic just to hear that we were getting funded. I feel like that was really holding everything back from TSU or for TSU. I think we really deserve this, and I'm really looking forward to the future. Now, did you know that the school had been underfunded? I did not know. Um, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, so I really haven't heard about anything. But when I realized or heard about it, I was pretty much like, this could take us to the next level because I feel like money was the only thing holding TSU back from greatness. Okay. So let's say you did have an idea about the funding issues. Would that have changed your decision making process to attend the school? It's a great question. No, honestly, the people at TSU just makes the school. It's like, you really don't notice that that's the issue because mm. the people are so great and they really care for the students
1: okay now what about your fellow students what are they saying about this
2: it's shown that it's a problem because of housing so that's it's it's shown are, for sure are they excited about the potential use of these funds definitely just to see where things go maybe in the classrooms or things like that there everyone's pretty excited okay so you know you've been on campus for what a good four or five months now second semester of your freshman year.
1: What are some of the things you noticed on campus that this money could address?
2: I would say the classroom. The classrooms or maybe just appliances or supplies in the classrooms, maybe uh, just things. So I took biology my first semester. So little things maybe like goggles, just simple supplies we could have or receive. Mm -hmm. What made you switch from from biology to? Economics and finance. Yeah. Well, it was more of a personal thing. Uh, so uh, I really, I'm really, really just very interested in finance. I day trade daily, uh, just things like that. So okay. I had to realize that was for me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I hope good luck with that.
1: Now, Thank you. you know, one of the caveats is that some of the funding cannot be used for housing, which is a major need at TSU. Frank, can you quickly break down why this money can't go to housing?
3: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Thank you for having this discussion and and really sharing with your audience the, the importance of uh, public funding for the institutions and really addressing when when we have underfunding issues and all of the things that come with that. And so uh, these are state dollars. These are what's called uh, E&G dollars. And so they're taxpayer dollars. Mm-hmm. And so in the state of Tennessee, uh, taxpayers do not fund auxiliary services at higher, higher education institutions. So things like housing and food, students certainly can have those things, but they have to pay their own way. It's not paid for with tax dollars. And so, housing is considered an auxiliary to education. You don't have to have a housing for students to be educated. And so, taxpayer dollars don't go to auxiliary items. They go only to funding educational components of. And so, uh, these would be considered uh, these would be considered taxpayer dollars that can't go to housing.
1: Okay, so. I- How does this money that you're getting from the state free up TSU to address some of the housing issues on campus?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It allows us to move um, quicker. So whenever you have deferred maintenance or those things that need to be repaired, uh, the state of Tennessee, uh, Tennessee State University have to use basically its credit. And so Mm. if we have, you know, uh, for for lack of a better term, if we have a hundred million dollars in credit, if we don't have to use that for these other projects, we can use more of that for housing, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can still use those dollars, that credit, if you would, to move a little faster and uh, and get those beds uh, built quicker.
1: Now, Ant- Antonio, let me ask you, are you excited about the prospect of having better housing on campus?
2: Yes, so I was fortunate enough to stay in the new dorms that were built uh, this past year. So I'm honestly living a good life, but from the perspective of uh, other friends who maybe stand in the hotels, they were unfortunate, but I'm really excited just to be able to have more people on campus and have that college experience continue. Mm-hmm. Now, Frank, what are some of the big priorities for the upgrades for this money that you're using? Yeah,
3: and so what, what we did, we did an assessment of of those buildings that really needed some uh, emergency attention, and so uh, really taking care of you know water leaks and, and infrastructure, And again, some deferred maintenance projects to really uh, get those things moving. We've already started on some of these projects moving forward. And so uh, we've identified um, uh, several buildings on the campus that will benefit from this. And again, it's going to, you know, $250 million is, you know, the largest amount of money given to an HBCU by a state, one-time money. And it was done without a lawsuit. It was done uh, just on people knowing it was the right thing to do. And so that's something we're very proud of, something that Tennessee should smile about. And uh, the legislators got it right. The governor got it right. And uh, I think we are, we're excited because this means that uh, Tennessee State University will continue to be a, a place where students can get a quality education with all of the tools that they need. And, and that infrastructure makes a difference.
1: And part of getting a quality education is having quality professors and educators. Now, Andrea, you're a professor. How how do you hope these funds will help the school?
4: Yeah, I think that the, the way that they were earmarked is... Um, I think it's going to make it incredibly evident that we now have something closer to equitable funding. Um, The new library, uh, engineering, um, we serve students um, who are set to make an impact in in communities in ways that other schools can't serve students. And um, so I'm really excited for the way these funds are are being distributed.
1: If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil lake We're talking this hour about the underfunding of Tennessee State University and how the school is planning to use a recent lump sum from the state. So, you know, Frank, as the mentioned, the school is getting $250 million from the state to help address this historic underfunding. What's the timeline for some of the upgrades planned?
3: Yeah. And so we are moving forward as we speak. And so, you know, those dollars have been allocated and uh, some of his assessment that needs to continue. And and of course, we have engineers and all of those things. And so we think this will continue over the next five, six years. You will be working on these projects. It'll take a time. It'll take time to get some of these buildings up like the engineering building. You know, but we're moving very uh, rapidly to make it happen now that we have money in, in hand.
1: Now, Andrea, Andrea, pardon me. You know, what have you heard from other faculty members about the challenges that the university is facing?
4: Yeah, um, it, it is evident again, that that um, that the funding that we have, it's been an underfunded space. And I think that plays out in all sorts of ways. For faculty, it can, it can play out in terms of benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, I came to TSU in, in 2018 um, and was excited to immediately be part of this underfunding conversation um what i app- applaud tsu for and what i'm excited to continue to see is that um faculty are seeing benefits immediately right i mean from um we are underpaid right and then a tsu addresses that as they can we got a raise this last year we are in conversations about paid family leave mm-hmm. um you know things like that uh, are, are benefits that haven't been available to faculty and staff um, be it particularly staff, because of underfunding, right? It's all rooted in this underfunding and TSU, um, like Dr. Stevenson said, having to having to uh, divert those funds elsewhere.
1: Now, you know, retaining and faculty and staff is key to the success of any institution. Where else would you like to see this money spent?
4: So, uh, yeah, the retention. I think it's it, it's difficult to quantify just how much we've lost when we talk about retention. I think TSU is incredible at recruiting Um Students, incredible students and faculty. and without without resources, it can be more difficult to retain students and faculty. We've you know or retain grants or even get grants. Um so I would also I, I would like to see these funds spent in a way that they continue to um, provide support for particularly students, staff and and faculty. Um, So those support systems.
1: And Antonio, do you have a faculty or staff member that you feel comfortable with coming to you, coming to with your concerns maybe about
2: the conditions of life on campus? Definitely a couple. Uh, One particular will have to be Mr. Dillon, Shaquille Dillon. That's my guy (laughs) for sure. Um, He's awesome, and I can always come to him if I have a problem, and he's just He's there whenever I want to talk or I need to talk. He's always there for me. Now, aside from Mr. Dillon himself, do you feel the university does a good job of really listening to the students? Yes. Uh, They have something called the first generation. It's for first generation students. Uh, Basically, you have a counselor and you can speak with them if you have an issue with a class or if you're just struggling as a person. There's always resources at TSU if you need help. Now, the fact remains that
1: TSU was underfunded for half a century through no fault of its own. Now it's got the opportunity to catch up, so to speak, and address some long-term challenges. Frank, how will the university keep the public informed about the progress it's making?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we're a public institution, and so we want to share and make sure everyone understands the steps we're taking and what we're doing and how we're using this money. And so we're being very transparent uh, in those processes and and it's exciting. This is a really, really exciting time for Tennessee State University. As you say, underfunding means that we miss some opportunities, and now we're moving very, very fast to, to make those up. You know, we are R2 research institution. We're trying to move to R1, and some of these um, innovative things that we're going to do is going to help us uh, push the ball down the field, move the needle on those opportunities of being a top HBCU research institution in the country.
1: I mean, despite this underfunding, TSU is... Had, has seen and done many great accomplishments over the years. What does that say to you about the character of the school?
3: It, it says that Tennessee State University has an, a, a spirit, an energy. We call it the land of gold and sunshine. We, we feel just God smiles uh, a little differently over there on us, and we appreciate that. But there's an energy. that's a strive. There's the, it's, it's what Tennessee State University has had to do, not just in this recent space, but for many years it has had, it has had to fight it has it has had to be better than peers it, it has had to work really really hard uh, and and continues to do that We have amazing students we have some of the top faculty in the country that are teaching at Tennessee State University and so that family spirit um, is what we had to do to get to where we are and what we'll do to keep moving forward.
1: Now Andrea, how do you how do you feel about the future of TSU as a Staff member's been there for what's going on five years now, faculty as a faculty member. What do you see the future for TSU being?
4: Um, I'm I'm just so excited. I think that if if this campaign to get the funds is any indicator of, of the direction TSU is going, it's been incredibly collaborative. Um, to I think that we were are fortunate to have um, allies in the legislature. That means that, you know, like Frank said, we we were able to keep it out of the courts and I think the beauty of that is that there's not a, um, it, it doesn't feel like justice is served and this amount is this, this amount that we got. Instead, this is something we're continuing to push for, to try to push for uh, something more equitable for TSU's future.
1: As a professor of history, how do you think people will see this moment for TSU when they look back at this point in time?
4: I think that, what again, what Frank is pointing to, right? It's the, the R2 status moving to an R1 status. It's the faculty, the grants that we've been able to get, um it's astonishing. It's astonishing the, the work that comes out of that university.
1: Antonio, what do you hope for the future of T S C
2: as you continue your studies there? The future is bright. We have some of the top staff, students, is this is all we needed and Big things are coming soon, for
1: sure. Big things are definitely coming soon. That is Tennessee State University freshman Antonio Renfro. He was joined by Assistant Professor Dr. Andrea Ringer and Associate Vice President of Student Affairs and Dean of Students Frank Stevenson. Thanks to you all for being with us today. Best of luck. And go Tigers. Go Tigers. (laughs) We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn more about how the underfunding of TSU came to light. Join the conversation and tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been talking this hour about the historic underfunding of Tennessee State University. Before the break, we learned about some of TSU's plans to spend the $250 million it recently received to make up the estimated $544 million gap over a 50-year period. That funding gap, pardon me. Now. Let's learn about how this funding error was identified and what the process of securing the long-lost funds for the university was like. For that, I'd like to introduce my guests. Harold Love Jr. is the Tennessee State House Representative for House District 38, and he chaired the... Fifty eight. Pardon me. And he chaired the Joint Land Grant Institution Funding Study Committee that looked into this. And Brittany L. Mosby is the executive director of HBCU Success for the Tennessee Higher Education Commission. Brittany, Representative Love, thank you for joining us and welcome to This is Nashville.
5: Thank you. Good afternoon.
1: Glad to be here. Now, we're really great to have you both here. Now, Representative Love, it's 2023. And as you and I are sitting here, but your father, Harold Love Sr., was looking at this during his time as a state representative. Is that right? Uh, That's correct. Uh,
6: My father was elected in 1968 and left office in 1994. Uh, Tennessee State University was one of the schools in his district at the time. And upon uh, being in office, he realized that there were some funding deficits happening. And uh, he, along with Representative Alvin King, uh, worked on a report That really became the foundation for the work that I was able to pick up and continue. But then they had identified uh, some huge funding gaps when it came to the land grant uh, allotment.
1: You said you were able to pick up on that work. Let me ask you, how far back does your knowledge of this issue go?
6: So uh, you know, having your father as a legislator uh, means that that at any given moment for for dinner, there may be a conversation about what was voted on that day and, and what may have been frustrating or what was a win. And so among the many things that he would oftentimes discuss uh, were, were his efforts to equalize the funding for Tennessee State. And so for me, then this really goes back to middle school, high school age, uh, just, just having the conversation in, in the house. I think it also was important uh, for my father to discuss this and work on it because my mother at the time was employed by Tennessee State and was working with a program called Upward Bound. Uh, she worked there for 57 years, and so uh, she got to experience firsthand also
1: this underfunding and the effect that it had upon the buildings in which she was working. What were those conversations like with your parents at the at the dining room table while they were discussing this?
6: Uh, there needs to be some equity uh, for Tennessee State University because Tennessee State is a land-grant institution just like the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh, there need to be some equalized funding for those two institutions because it went really back to what uh, congressman justin morrell really envisioned when he created the morrell acts mm-hmm. uh, both in 1862 and 1890 was to have these public institutions that focused heavily on agriculture but also other things but really pushed for federal funding for these to be sent to the states and the states to equally and fairly divide these among their
1: two land grants so as you grow up having these conversations this inside baseball so to speak in the household then you decide to run for office yourself Was this a mission of yours? I'll be quite honest
6: with you. Um, With my father leaving in 1994 and then me getting elected in 2012, I did watch members of the Black Caucus, uh, like Rep. Barbara Cooper, who is now uh, transitioned, uh, and Senator Gilmore and others, work on equalizing the funding. The thing about land-grant funding is there are different buckets. It's not just one big bucket. It's not just land-grant funding. Uh, There's land-grant funding from the federal government, but there are also federal formula grants, like cooperative extension grants uh, that come down from the federal government that have a component to be matched by the state for the federal part. And so Mm -hmm. that was the piece that had been worked on by my colleagues. When I got elected, uh, the question I asked Dr. Glover and Dean Reddy, was there anything that I could do to help the university? Just a general question, let me know. Uh, And they came back and said, we need our full match. Mm. Components have been matched, but not all of them. And so we are able to identify that. Uh, one last component had not been matched, and that amount was a $1,400,000. And so from 2013 up until 2016, worked on getting that particular portion matched and put in the budget. So got that part matched, right? And so going forward from 2016, Tennessee State has already has, has gotten its full state match for that particular former formula uh, sections. Okay. The problem that I identified was I said, well, listen, if I know that they haven't been getting it while I was in the legislature,
1: mm.
6: how far back does the possible arrearage go? And so then I made it my quest to discover how much had been uh, not given in every year and had to go to the legislative library every day uh, and look through the old budget books. It's a process. And I tell folks all the time uh, this isn't a Google search. Mm. It's, it's not. Uh, looking up a hyperlink. This is actually going to the library, getting the books down, reading through the budget and identifying uh, what items are in the budget. And that's when I realized that there were several years when Tennessee State's land grant money was not in the state budget, Mm. right? The basic campus funding was, but the land grant portion wasn't, which is very troubling because I knew that the University of Tennessee Knoxville had their funding and it was supposed to be upon a percentage base of seventy-four percent roughly to UT, twenty-six percent to Tennessee State. And so didn't have Tennessee State in the budget meant that it was not allotted that year. So then became the quest to figure out how much it was that Tennessee State had not received, and so we had to look at what UT's portion was. And we knew that amount was 74, 75 percent of what the federal government sent down. Mm -hmm. And out of that, we discovered what then should have been what was allowed to Tennessee State.
1: Okay, so you take this time, you get your fingers dusty, you break out the Texas Instruments calculator and you're learning how underfunded TSU has been. What did you do next? Who did you approach at, from one of your colleagues in the state right. house to talk about this?
6: Well, it became a thing where every time budget season came around and the governor's office has the budget prepared, I found a creative way in every education committee that I could where there was a related subject around funding for higher ed to interject the whole point. Mm
1: -hmm.
6: Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, before we go any further, I just want to let you know that Tennessee State has not gotten its full funding before we vote on this package for these other colleges. And that began to lay the groundwork for my colleagues to say, listen, there may be something here uh, to this. And so let me give credit to my my speaker of the House, uh, Cameron Sexton, uh, because he in 2020 said to me, all right, I've heard you mention this several times uh, over the years and I'd really like to find out how much it is instead of just saying, let's just nickel and dime the amount. Go and find out how much it is, and that's when he created the Joint Land Grant Funding Study Committee and I asked myself and Senator Briggs to chair the committee.
1: Now, now, Brittany, I see you nodding. Was this something that you were aware of for a while?
5: Yes, um, and um, uh, glad to be a part of the conversation. I think um, I was brought in um, to help move this conversation along, um, and so it's, it's been um, a a wonderful process watching this unfold and grow. As um, in a in a formal way, um, we've been able to lay out the case and in a and and uh, talk about how um, a difference can be made for TSU.
1: You advised the committee, Representative Love chaired. What what kind of background did you want to make sure they knew?
5: Sure. So at the Higher Education Commission, um, we are the the coordinating policy group for higher ed um, across the state for all the public institutions. And so the perspective that I wanted to bring to the committee um, is where TSU specifically as a historically black college, um, as a public university, as a land-grant university, fit into the policy picture from beginning to where we are today. Um, so like Representative Love mentioned, we we went all the way back to the original Um, uh, 1862 1890 acts and then um, also provide a context of the farm bills that are passed every four years or so by the U.S. Congress looking at provisions that were made at the federal level um, encouraging states to step up uh, their match to 100 percent over time. So it was a a broad policy perspective that I think um, from the federal all the way down to the state uh, that that helped lead us to here.
1: OK, so this is based on land grant funding and Representative Love, you gave us a little bit of an explanation of how these are. I understand it's incredibly complicated. It is. For people to understand, you know. So, you know, can you break it down for us again as succinctly and easily sure. as possible for our listeners? So in in a nutshell,
6: uh, Justin Morrill believed that higher education was too expensive. Uh, and so he proposed the 1862 land grant. Uh, the Morrell Act, which said that the the federal government would give land to states, and they would then help them fund those institutions as long as the state also provided some support. These were public institutions. The unfortunate thing is that uh, at that time, the original land grants created by the 1862 Act did not allow, uh, not by law, but they chose not to allow African Americans to enroll in those colleges. So Justin Morrell, realizing that this was a problem Followed up with 1890 Land Grant Act, which is an exact duplicate of the 1862 Land Grant Act with one provision different, which says you cannot discriminate based upon race for admission. So these became the schools where primarily African-Americans would enroll. Now, other students could enroll also, but primarily African-Americans enrolled in a school. And again, it's the same provision, which means that when the federal government sent down money... The states were supposed to help support that school. The unfortunate thing is that when the federal government sent down money for Tennessee State, oftentimes the money was not uh, allocated to Tennessee State. In my father's 1970 report, he discovered that in 1970, four million five hundred thousand dollars was sent down to the state of Tennessee for its two land grants. Of that amount, Tennessee State received fifty-five thousand dollars. Mm. Right, and that was not uh, uh, that was not consistent with, with with that. And let me pause here and and, and say this that. The unfortunate but fortunate thing is that it's not just Tennessee State. Uh, There are other land grants across the the country that are suffering from some of the same issues. Uh, Delaware State, Southern University, Alcorn State, Florida A&M, Kentucky State, Fort Valley State, West Virginia State, University of Maryland, Eastern Shore, Prairie View, Langston, Lincoln College, Virginia State, South Carolina State, all these, right, are suffering from the same issues. Now, to our credit, Tennessee is the first state in the nation to have a governor uh, to take this initiative on and put in the budget, this $250 million, which is an investment in the infrastructure. I want to pause here let folks know who are listening, this is not a settlement, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like Tennessee State and, and I engaged in conversations about the $544 million minimum mm-hmm. because we, we still haven't done the 55 on back, right? Well, okay. I've done the research, but I haven't released the numbers yet for that, uh, for the 50, 1955 on back to 1912. But it's uh, it wasn't like we went to the governor and said, okay, 544 is old. We'll take 250, right? What we did was to uh, Brittany's point, Dr. Mosley's point. My committee charged THeC and the Commissioner of Finance and Tennessee State to go and look at what was one of the most pressing needs on the campus. Came back with a uh, assessment that said that 334 million dollars worth of deferred maintenance was going on the campus. So yeah. we said, well, then how can we attack that? The $250 million deals with that piece. You, you can't get new programs if you don't have new buildings to put those programs in. Mm-hmm. You can't attract new professors and new teachers and, and new students unless you have new buildings and adequate structure for them to be in the classroom. Now,
1: now, Brittany, how does TSU's situation, How does that? how is that different from other HBCUs when it comes to these funds?
5: That's a great question. And and to Representative's love point, the the land-grant conversation is but one bucket, um, one slice of the uh, overall picture. Historically, Black colleges and universities um, have been um, institutions that have done more with less since their first foundings in 1837, the first one was established. Tennessee State has a unique Um, situation as a public institution in that there's an expectation of state funds and appropriations. But part of my job um, as the head cheerleader um, for HBCUs in the state of Tennessee um, is to answer exactly your question, historical black colleges and universities writ large, Uh, would benefit from and need investment for student success in a variety of ways. Um, And that could be uh, through promotion, um, through uh, capacity building support, and through encouragement of partnerships. And so that's largely um, what our focus at the Higher Education Commission is, um, that broad picture, to Representative Love's point, about how can we help all of our HBCUs TSU is the jewel of Nashville, is the crown of our public institutions, but all of our institutions, Meharry Medical College, which has taken on an expanded role in the face of the pandemic and looking at public health, especially among marginalized communities, um, in In the midst of a pandemic. um, Fisk University, the reason why Nashville is called Music City, right? The mm-hmm. namesake um and and um back to Knoxville College, which is uh, the only HBCU in in East Tennessee making its comeback. To LeMoyne Owen and Memphis, the only HBCU there in the mid-South, and Lane College in Jackson, um, with its historic ties um, to the Methodist Church. So, um, support for HBCUs um, is a is uh, an all hands on deck type of mm. of question and issue, and it's it's more than than just um, you know passing the collection plate around. It's it's going to take significant investment on uh, lots of levels, and that's that's what I'm here for, to make sure that happens.
1: Now, aside from these land-grant funds, are there other ways the state can really help and assist TSU?
5: Absolutely. Um, and one of the channels that we are encouraging and looking into is support for students and student success. So currently, the state has a robust financial aid program at Tennessee, uh, the, one of the first states to have a free college program for graduating um, high school seniors to go to college. Um, we've got a robust package with the HOPE, um, the Tennessee Student Assistance Award. Um, As of the 2021 school year, about $12 million um, in state funds went to HBCUs uh, in Tennessee in the form of financial aid and student aid. And so um, one of the ways that the state can invest in um, its students is investing in its students, uh, looking mm-hmm. at those financial aid packages, those need-based packages uh, with TSAA, the need supplement uh, to the HOPE with the HOPE Aspire, the HOPE Access Awards. Those types of things make a huge difference in terms of student choice and knowing that price is not always a barrier to getting into higher ed. Um, we're also looking programmatically at Supporting students once they enroll uh, through summer bridge type programs, immersive experiences, opportunities uh, for students to come to campus early, make connections with mentors. Uh, the Antonio, the the TSU student who was on before, mm-hmm. shouted out that one mentor. And I think you talk to any student. I was a I'm an HBCU grad myself. One of the the ingredients, the secret sauce, if you will, mm-hmm. at an HBCU is that mentor connection, mm-hmm. the investment in the Unmeasurable advising that happens on campuses, um, ways that we can invest in that for um, the the staff and the faculty HBCU so they can pour back into the students. It's a positive feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's the kind of approach that I'm I'm looking at. That systems approach, ways that we can enrich um, in in broad ways mm-hmm. uh, for all of our institutions. I
1: mean, in 1862, Justin Morrill realized that. Tuition was too damn high, <laughs> and apparently it's the, still the same, it's the same in 2023. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colona. We're talking this hour about how over half a billion dollars in state funding was kept away from Tennessee State University. My guests are State Representative Harold Love Jr. and Brittany L. Mosby of Tennessee Higher Education Commission. Now, Representative Love, this might be a really tough question or a simple one. Why did this go on for so long?
6: Well, one of the things that you will notice uh, in the legislature is that there's a lot of turnover mm. in key places. Give an example. Uh, for my term of being elected in 2012, I have seen four, no, three, three chairs of finance in the House, mm-hmm. right? I've experienced three speakers of the House. I've experienced two chairs of education, but I've also watched my colleagues' over. Now, why is that important? Th- what happens is when you build the case and you make the presentation to the legislature, right? Turnover happens. And this is one of the frustrations, I think, of HBCU presidents, that once they make the case and they get on board, a group of folks are gonna make the change, right? Now, let me go back and say this. The damage was done initially uh, when the funding was not put in. Mm-hmm. Let's just be clear about that. In 1913, the legislature passed a bill that said that the division of money would be around 74% UT, 26% Tennessee State. But UT's money would go straight to them. Tennessee State's money would go to the state treasury. Right. Mm-hmm. And so from the very beginning, there was, there was um, unfairness in the allocation of, and where it would go.
1: It feels right? like a paternalistic type of right. approach in allocating this money.
6: The, the problem comes in, again, when you have a president like Dr. Davis right? right, and Dr. Hale, who are trying to work with the legislature to get funding equalized, but then the legislature turns, turns over, right? But that unequalness is baked into the process, mm-hmm. so much so that as the budget becomes put together every year, it's just part of that cake that you're baking every year until somebody says, hold on, we're missing some ingredients in here, right? Uh, The the TSU funding is not in here. Yes, okay, so let's go make that change. And I think that's what happened over decades and decades and decades. After the original uh, amount of discrimination was put in, it stayed in. Because keep in mind also, not that you have to have a, 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 a black legislator representing a black school, but th- there is, a, a, I think, a bit more of a connection there when you have people who have graduated from an institution who are trying to represent and get equal funding. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until 1964, 65, 60, I'm sorry, 62, that we had an African-American elected post-Reconstruction mm-hmm. in Tennessee, right? Mm-hmm. And so you you have to have someone champion these causes. Again, I say that you, you have to be black to champion these causes, but th- there, there's a bit more push, I think. Because you recognize that as an injustice done to those who look like you and, and those who experience the same thing you're experiencing. And, and so that, I think, is part of the reason is, is that you had these difficulties of, of a system already baking into it, this, this uh, difference being made. And that's mm-hmm. what I told my colleagues. I said, listen, you didn't do it. I didn't do it. But we are the stewards now mm. of the state. And Tennessee State is a state institution these are state buildings, these are state employees, these are students enrolled in a state college.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: And so I think that resonated with many of them, and which allowed us to get this historic. And I say historic because you look across the country, and I applaud Maryland for what they did with their $577 million, uh, but that's split among four schools over 10 years. This is the largest investment that you've had in any HBCU by any state government.
1: So you all went and made that move I'm curious what went before I ask that, you know, Brittany, you know, Representative Love, they made a reference to this. But how does desegregation play into the underfunding of TSU?
5: Well, part and parcel. And and actually, Tennessee is unique in in this aspect in another way. Um, So with the Geyer lawsuit, it was a desegregation lawsuit. Um, And to my knowledge and my research, it was one of the Tennessee was. One of the only states where the desegregation settlement resulted in the historically black college maintaining the identity and merging the the predominantly white college. So there was going to be a UT Nashville. Mm -hmm. That's what we now know as the Avon Williams downtown campus. Um, And after that desegregation lawsuit, uh, TSU assumed responsibility for that campus. Um, So desegregation is is. a two-sided coin um, that we think about. Representatives love the point. Um, HBCUs have never been exclusionary schools. They're historically Black universities and that they were founded for Black students who were excluded from other institutions. In 1901, um, the state passed a law that said uh, there could be no co-education of races, um, and at the time, Mariville College, for example, allowed black students to enroll and they had to stop. Um, so HBCUs have never been included. They've always been inclusionary. But what makes them special um, is that they've been welcoming to all. And so desegregation then applies to policies around schools that were exclusionary and getting back to right. But what yeah. is um, what we have to keep in mind about Issue and all of the HBCUs is that they were never segregated in the first place. They were mm-hmm. never exclusionary mm-hmm. in the first place. And so what we want to be careful about when the desegregation conversation comes up is, is remembering that it's not punitive and um, and we want to make sure it, it, it stays that way, that desegregation doesn't imply any any sort of punishment.
1: You know, I'm curious what went into determining the amount owed, Representative Love. How did you and the committee arrive at the number of $544 million? Well, again, we knew
6: how much the University of Tennessee Knoxville had received because we got that from the budget books. What we didn't have was how much money the federal government sent down. And and waiting on a, you know, Freedom of of Information Act can, can delay that process. Particularly for 50 years. Right. So what we did was we took state law from 1913, which said that at that time, again, these numbers being what they are, at that time was $50,000 was sent from the federal government. All right? And of that $50,000 in 1913, 38,000 would go to UT, 12,000 to Tennessee State. So that gave us that ratio. Mm-hmm. And that ratio stayed the same ratio throughout to today. right? So what we said was, okay, Tennessee State is supposed to get 26% of the money. University of Tennessee is supposed to get 74%. The only thing we know is what UT got. Mm -hmm. So then UT becomes the only thing we know. And the X becomes what the federal government sent down. Because we had to solve X. So I apologize. My mother was a math teacher. So she made me do math problems all day long. Algebra. Make it happen. And so we had to solve X. Mm -hmm. X then got solved and we found out what amount the federal government sent down. Then we said, now we can say, okay, based on what they sent down, what is 26% of that? And then that became the basis to say, all right, this is how much Tennessee State should have received if they were put into the budget book. But again, the key point is when you literally read the budget book, it does not have Tennessee State's uh, land grant allotment in the budget books for those years.
1: What does the actual number look like?
6: Well, keep in mind that those numbers were actually those years numbers. So, for example, if you say it was a million dollars that was owed in 1970, that was committee, we put together that that number, right? Because we didn't want to get into the conversation of interest and opportunity cost. Uh, we wanted to get the raw numbers and say, okay, this is how much was was withheld that year. And so we, these are the numbers for that year. Uh, it, it, it could range anywhere probably uh, to easily a, a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the easier conversation to have is about how do we effectively use this $250 million now? to over a five year period to redo these multiple buildings more than you know more than the six that that we have uh, you know being worked on now. It's many more than that. Also, what do we look like to then uh, have money to come in for programs like Dean Stevenson said to get to a research one status, you must have graduated a, a certain number of students with PhDs. And so that's going to require more programming and also increase funding for students. And so that becomes the next phase to look at to say, how can we get funding for the programs? And then, you know, once we get the programs funded, once we get the buildings funded properly, then we can go into this new course of, of recruiting um, more students and more faculty.
1: That is State Representative Harold Love, Jr. of the 58th District. He was joined by... Dr. Brittany L. Mosby, right?
5: Yes, that's correct. I
1: want to make sure I give you your intellectual flowers. Thank you. And the executive director, she is the executive director of HBCU Success for the Tennessee Higher Education Commission. I want to thank you both for being with us today. Really appreciate this conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour tomorrow. If you're going dry January or just don't do alcohol in general, there are plenty of delicious options. That's right. We're talking mocktails, We might even try some ourselves. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Ana Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are and Namir Blade. Special thanks to John Rose. And Sharfner and Kelly Sharp. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.